I want to talk about prayer today. I want to, I want to continue from a, before uh, the Palm Sunday and Easter Sunday and Good Friday. We were talking about prayer as it relates to spiritual gifts. I want to talk about prayer again today. And we're going to look at Matthew chapter 6. So if you have a Bible with you, you can open up to Matthew chapter 6. And we're going to look at verses 9 through 13. It's a famous prayer referred to as the Lord's Prayer. But we're going to, we're going to look at it here in a, in a minute. When I, was, when I was in college, uh, one of my buddies was in college too, and he was home for break looking for a summer job, which a lot of college students are doing right now. And he took a job doing construction. And he, was, uh, he, he didn't have a lot of experience doing that, but he knew, he, could, he knew that this guy would hire him. And so after working... For in this construction job for a little bit. He didn't really know what he was doing, but the guy was working really closely with him. He felt overwhelmed at times. He felt like there was a lot that he didn't know. But on this particular day, he'd been there about a week, the boss got a roofing job started. So he, he got it all laid out and laid the first row of shingles across the top of the roof and then said, listen, um, with this tool, and, and, and if you just stay right on course, you're going to be able to knock this out. I've got to go get some more supplies. I've got to take some care, care of some things. So he's a little overwhelmed, never been left on a job. He, he knew this was in a, you know, a, a serious job. He needed to do it right. But as he was going along, he started to feel confident that, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm a roofer. I'm a construction worker. I know what I'm doing. And so he was kind of going through the job, uh, laying the shingles up, things are going smooth, got done before the boss got back. So he didn't have anything else to do. He didn't know what else to do. So he just kind of sat down in front of the house waiting for the boss to return. And he was pretty proud of himself. When the boss pulled up to the house, he saw his college kid he had just hired sitting there, but he also saw the roof. And he looked at the roof and looked at the, the college kid, and he walked up, and the college kid said, yeah, I got, you know, I got it done. I, I know what I'm doing now. And so they, he, he turned him around because he was sitting there, and he said, hey, um, why don't you just turn around so we can look at this roof together? So they turned around and looked at the roof, and the roof went like this. Like, like, it's supposed to go like this, and it went like this. He got off course a couple times. Over the course of the roof, over the course of the, the entire laying of that roof, he had shingles that were basically vertical, and they should have been horizontal. Needless to say, he had to take them all, they had to take them all off and redo the entire roof. Now, that problem could have been avoided if a simple tool had been utilized throughout the job. You needed to keep things straight. When you need to keep things straight, you need that. That keeps tight. There you go. A simple tool would have prevented him from having to do that job twice. And for his boss to pay him to do the job twice, if indeed he paid him to do it twice. A simple tool 
can be very helpful as long as you, one, know how to use it, and two, don't forget that you have it. Jesus does something interesting in this passage where he is teaching the disciples how to pray. So often, Luther said that much damage has been done to the Lord's Prayer because it's been memorized and used as something that you just recite. But that was never Jesus' intent. When he said, when you pray, he said, pray then like this. He was offering a simple tool for prayer, a simple guide for prayer, a simple method for prayer. And we need that guide because I, and you can relate to this as well, sometimes when it comes to my devotional life and to praying, I can feel overwhelmed. I can feel this sense of like, where do I even begin? How do I know if I'm praying the way God wants me to pray? How do I, how do I, how do I get everything that I'm feeling into a prayer time that I've only set aside 20 minutes for? You ever have those feelings? How am I supposed to do this? The Lord's Prayer is offered by God, by Jesus, to disciples as a model for prayer. It's a simple way to pray. As much as it is our Lord's Prayer, it's more our Lord's tool for prayer, our Lord's guide for praying. It's a simple way to pray. What we're going to do today is we're going to go through the entirety of this psalm, this prayer. And what I'm hoping, what we'll do is I'm going to teach you how to use this tool so that tomorrow you can get up and use this very simple tool for prayer. Now, I could go through each line of this prayer and preach a whole sermon. But I'm not going to do that today. I'm just going to work through the prayer and show you how to use it as a guide for prayer. But let's, let's read it. Matthew 6, verse 9. Jesus said, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Here is a simple way to pray. I got some of the ideas for doing this from a little book that I read by Martin Luther called A Simple Way to Pray. Luther was a, a theological heavyweight. He understood deep things about the Scriptures. But when you read him, there was also a childlike simplicity to the things that he said, to the ways that he preached, and certainly if you read his prayers. There was just like this childlike trust in God. And he had a friend, Peter the barber, who had cut his hair for over two decades. And Peter said to him once in one of their long discussions, 
I need a simple way to pray. I just need, I need a tool to help me to pray. Sometimes I don't know where to start. I don't know what kinds of things to pray for. I just need a simple tool for prayer. And so Luther said the Bible actually has one. It's the Lord's Prayer. And so, but I want to show you how to use it. So he wrote out a little guide for his friend Peter the Barber that became a simple way to pray. Now Luther also included praying through the Ten Commandments and he prayed through the Apostles' Creed as well. But the first part of it was teaching his barber friend to pray the Lord's Prayer. So what we're going to do is walk through this prayer and all its components and use it as a guide. This is what I think you should do. If you, if you do have something to write with, I would encourage you, under each part, just write down one sentence of what it looks like to use that part of the prayer as a tool. And then tomorrow when you get up, you'll have something that you actually can use. If you don't have anything to write with, you can listen to the podcast later, and then you can write them down then. So we're going to start, we're going to do, this is how we'll do it. There's a beginning to the prayer, there's an end to the prayer, and in between, there's seven prayer requests, okay? So beginning and an end and seven prayer requests. So we'll start with the beginning, the beginning of our prayer. Jesus, look right in the Scripture. You guys have, have your Bibles with you and open? Pray then like this. What does he say? Our Father in heaven. That's how you begin your prayer. Now, do you have to say our Father in heaven perfectly? Word for, no, no, no. What he's saying is, We address our prayers to someone. So another way of saying this is this. When you begin your prayer, you should, write this down, remember who you're talking to. Remember who you're talking to. It's easy sometimes to forget who we're talking to when we're talking to God or to someone else. I remember hearing Charles Simpson tell a great, he was a a preacher, um, tell a great story of how his mom had asked him to do something. And he didn't want to do it. He's about 16 or 17 years old. And he was going downstairs into the basement. And as he was walking down into the basement, he yelled up to his mother, you're stupid. He didn't know his dad was in the house. And so his dad, as he was coming back up the steps, his dad opened up the door and said, who's stupid? And Charles said, I'm stupid. Remember who you're talking to. He should have remembered. That's not the way he speaks to his mother. And he certainly shouldn't have spoken that way to his father, obviously. His father didn't take too kindly to that. We should remember who we're talking to. Who are we talking to when we begin to pray? Who are you talking to when you pray? Who are you directing your prayers to? See, this is just not a mindless recitation. This is not just um, somebody saying, hey, go say five our fathers. That's not not what this is. This is uh, a, a time of communion with God that begins with remembering who it is that you're bringing your request to. Who you bring your request to, who he is, has real influence on whether your requests are going to be heard and whether there's going to be anything done about them. Who do you pray to? The Scripture tells us that God is the sovereign ruler, creator 
of all things. It says that this, this creation, everything that's being created, was, came from nothing. He spoke it into existence. That's who you're praying to. The Scripture tells us that, that God holds the waters of the earth, the waters of the earth, in the hollow of His hand. That's who you're praying to. The Scripture tells us that, that all of the molecules of our body and the world are being held together right now. Do you know how they're being held together? By the word of His power. We are being held together right now. We would otherwise turn into jello. But God, by the word of His power, is holding your body and those molecules together. This is who we pray to. Who are we praying to? The one that that the Scripture says that one day, even though he's being rebelled against now, even though not everybody honors him, even though this world is broken, that one day every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord over all. That's who you're praying to. That's supposed to remind us that the one we're praying to has the capacity infinite capacity to do something with the things you're asking of him. But it's more than that. Because not only do you need to know that he's powerful, you need to know that he's loving. You need to know that he's good. So Jesus says he's our father. Remember when I told you a couple weeks ago that, that when Jesus was on the cross, it was the only time he ever prayed that he didn't address God as Father. Remember that? He cried out to God, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus was abandoned by God, forsaken by God. They had never known any interruption in their intimacy. But He he bore the wrath of God. He bore our sins and bore the wrath of God and was abandoned by God and forsaken by God so that we would never be forsaken by God so that we might have a a relationship with God where He is actually our Father. He brings us into His family. He adopts us and says, I'm never going to let you go. That's who we're praying to. So the first thing we do when we begin our prayers is remember who it is that we're talking to. Now let's move into the, the seven things we're to petition God for or to ask God for. What are the things we're supposed to pray? Number one, what does it say? Our Father in heaven, what's the first thing? Hallowed be your name. Weird language, right? Here's what he's saying. We should pray that God would be known for who he is in the world. We should pray that people would recognize God for who he is, his power and his authority. Another way of saying it, and this has been helpful to me to think of it this way, we should pray that God would get the credit that he deserves. Can you think of five reasons right now that you have to be thankful? Can you think of five? Those when we think about hallowed be your name, what we're saying is, God, I want you to get the credit 
for all good things that you've done. And these five things that are, are good things that I'm experiencing, I could ultimately trace back to your goodness. Because every good gift comes from you. So when, I, when I'm praying, when we're praying, hallowed be your name, we're saying, Lord, I want you to get the credit that you deserve. And so there are all these good things that I'm experiencing, and I want to give you gratitude and thanks for those things. What can we give God credit for? Or think of it this way. Where is God not receiving credit that he deserves? Look around your world and all of the brokenness that you see around you. God's not getting the credit that he deserves. So when we pray, hallowed be your name, we're saying, Lord, get the credit that you deserve for all that you have done. And it's a time of expressing gratitude. Number two, second petition. What comes after that? Hallowed be your name. You're looking down in the word, verse 10. What's it say? You guys really mumbled that one. It's right there. Your kingdom come. Thank you. Trying to get you guys to just follow along with me here. Your kingdom come. What's kingdom? Kingdom uh, can refers to a couple different things in the scriptures. One of the things kingdom refers to is what we just were talking about. God's king over everything. He rules over all. He rules and he reigns. That's one aspect of kingdom. Jesus came preaching the kingdom of God. He said, good news. The kingdom of God is at hand. What was he talking about? He was talking about the kingdom of God that that was available to people through Jesus. That God wanted wanted to redeem the relationship of people with God. Separated because of sin, but Jesus came to redeem that relationship. He came to bring redemption. And so the kingdom of God is not so much a place as it is a relationship with God. If you're here and you have experienced the saving grace of God, the kingdom of God is broken into your heart. It's, it's broken in and now you have a relationship with him. God's kingdom exists whenever a person allows Jesus to rule and reign over their lives. That's what it means to trust Jesus for salvation. It means not only do you receive his gift of salvation, but it says now, Jesus, you're now driving the car of my life. I'm getting out of the driver's seat. I've messed things up. Now I'm going to let you drive. I'm going to let you rule and reign over me. Your kingdom come is what we're talking about. It's it's saying, Lord, the world is a broken place. Would you make the world right? And would you start with me? Would you, would you make the world right by establishing your rule and reign in people's hearts and begin with me? So what could this prayer look like? 
First, I'd say, write that down. Your kingdom come. What does it mean to pray that? It means, Lord, make the world right and start with me. It means rule in people's hearts and start with mine. So that discipleship is about, it includes Jesus ruling and reigning in your life. And that's the problem with discipleship. Because that's oftentimes the part we don't want. We want the grace. We want the forgiveness. We want the relationship. We want to know we're adopted. We want to know that we have peace. We want to know that we're going to be with him and have eternal security. What we say oftentimes as we pass through the, the, the cafeteria line, give me all of those things, but you can hold that rule and reigning stuff. You can give that to the guy behind me. We don't want the ruling and the reigning. But you know, that's part of being a disciple. Part of being a disciple is I want to receive all of you, Jesus, including your rule and reign in my life. Because when I receive and submit to your rule and reign in my life, I'm actually doing better than I ever possibly could do. So when we pray your kingdom come, we're saying, Lord, make the world right. Begin with me. Do you, as you look around your world, as you look at your own life and you look around your world, do you see any problems with it? We have a lot to pray about. If you look around your world and think, wow, there's a lot that's not right, that's what you're doing when you're praying your kingdom come. Your Lord, Lord, I'm thinking about my own life. Your kingdom come, rule in my heart. Change me. And then I think about my family and, and this situation and that situation. I think about my neighbors and some of the brokenness they're experiencing. I want you to rule in their hearts. Lord, I think about my, the people that I work with. I think about the peop, my extended family. I, I, just, I think about what I saw on the news yesterday. I think about my church family. I think about the people in my missional community. Lord, I'm asking that you would rule and reign in all of our hearts. That's the second petition. Third one. Looking at it? See it? What is it? Your will be done. Your will be done. So we're praying that God's kingdom would, be, would come. We're praying that his will would be done. And there's an interesting clause there. On earth, your will would be done here on earth just like it is in heaven. So what's Jesus saying here? Well, what he's saying here is... With, we should pray that God's will would be done right here, right now, where it isn't done, just like it is being accomplished in heaven. And do you know in heaven, God's will is being perfectly accomplished? Do you know that? That's your hope, right? Aren't you hoping that one day you're going to go to be with Jesus and where you go is a place where his will is perfectly obeyed and in that place where his will is perfectly obeyed you are going to be 100% satisfied and perfectly joyful and happy for all of eternity do you believe that I don't know if you believe that people are happy in heaven eternally And they don't need anything but what's good 
to make them happy. You believe that? You believe that you could be totally happy and satisfied in Christ and in Christ alone? See, no one's, no one's going to be sneaking out of heaven for some real fun. Dipping down into hell and enjoying some of what they're doing down there and sneaking back up into heaven because we just needed something. A little more than you could give me, Jesus. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen because you're going to be so satisfied in Christ alone that His will is going to be obeyed perfectly. It's not this prayer. When we pray God's will, we, we turn it into this. It's not, Lord, I want to make you do my will. That's how we pray. That's magic. It's bring my will under your will. You know, it's like, it's like God's will is like this, this kind of a bullseye, if you will. And we're trying to lock right in on that. And the reason why we pray that is because that doesn't come naturally to us and there's going to be some struggle if you're going to be brought under the sway of His Spirit. If we're going to live like the angels do in heaven, it's going to require some struggle here on earth. That's one of the things I see about Luther's prayers. And I don't see it as much in mine. Man, he really felt the struggle of what it means to follow Jesus and to do Jesus' will so that he found himself like a child on his knees crying out to God, would you do your will here in my life, here on earth, just like it's done in heaven because I know that's not going to happen unless you help me. He struggled with that. Our own Savior struggled with that. In the garden, he cried out to the Lord and he said, Lord, if there's any way possible for me to accomplish this work of salvation apart from this plan, which is going to cost me so dearly, could you work that out? But, Lord, if you're not going to do that, not my will, yours be done. That's a struggle. If Jesus struggled, you're going to struggle. So what should you do? You should pray. Lord, teach me what I should do and then make me willing and able. There's, there's how you pray my will be done. Lord, write that down. Teach me what I should do and make me willing and able. Moving on. The fourth one. What is it? See at verse 11? Give us this day our daily bread. What is he doing there? Well, I want to make one important observation before we ever get to praying how we normally pray, which is when we start to pray, we start here at the fourth petition. We start with everything that's on our mind 
everything that we need. It's not wrong to pray for your needs. Jesus tells us we should. But he does it after we have three prayers that are all about God and his honoring of his name and his kingdom and his will. Now, let's get down to the things that you need. We should pray about that God would give us what we need. God would give us what we need, not necessarily what we want. That God would give us what we need, not necessarily what we desire. How do you know whether what you want is what you need? Well, after you've prayed for God to give it, and he doesn't give it, he gives you something else, are you good with that? Are you good with what God's given you? This is a prayer where we pray for what we need. Physical needs, spiritual needs, emotional needs. We pray for our needs, that God would meet our needs. And it's also an opportunity to express gratitude for God for how he has been meeting your needs. Psalm 71 uh, one of the things that happens in this psalm is that the writer of this psalm is looking around. He feels like he's been trusting God, and he's looking around, and all these people that don't trust God seem to be like living large. And he's really struggled with it. He references how fat they are, which is really interesting, because in that day and age, to be fat was a a sign of wealth. You got it easy. He's looking at them. He's feeling like I'm a little, I'm a little, I'm not as, I'm not as, I'm not enjoying the fat of the land as much. I look it out at these guys. Lord, give me a double chin. I want some blessing. Lord. Would you give me what I need? And even as I pray for that, I think about how you've never, you've never ever forsaken me. You've always provided for me. And for that, I am grateful. Lord, there's these things that I really want, but you haven't seen good to give it to me. Would you help me to trust you? Give daily bread. Lord, give me what I need and help me to be thankful. Fifth. This is a tool. Remember, we're using this as a tool to pray. The fifth thing we pray is forgive us. He says, forgive us our debts. What does that mean? Why does he say debts? He's referring to sin. Sin in the Bible is spoken of in a lot of different ways. It's missing the mark. It's not living up to the standard of God. It's it's described as rebelling against God. It's described as something that pollutes us or makes us dirty. One way to understand it is sin is our unpaid debt to God. That's why he uses the language of debt. That's why the language in some translations of trespass is not as helpful here. We owe God. He's our creator. We owe him total loyalty. Jesus summed up the commands this way. If you want to know what the commands are, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And if you want to know what the other command is, it's love your neighbor like you love yourself. That's our debt to God, is to love Him and love others completely. 
Love for man, love for God, all day, every day. Sin is our failure to pay that debt. We do it by committing sins. We do, we do, bad, we do things that we shouldn't do. Yes? This church is a little more holy. We do things that we shouldn't do, right? We, that's a sin of commission. But it's not just that. You don't do things you should do. That's a sin of omission. All of that is our unpaid debt to God. Now Jesus, through his life, death, and resurrection, pays that debt so that you who could never pay that debt, you could never work your way to God, you could never, you could never outweigh all of the wrong things you've done, you could never satisfy God's demand for righteousness. Jesus did that for you. That's the hope of the gospel. That's the good news. But does that mean that we shouldn't still, as Christians, even though we're in Christ, even though our sins have been forgiven, shouldn't we still express sorrow to God when we fail? Yes. Not so we can save ourselves. The salvation is taken care of. It's part of that relationship thing. Listen, if... if, uh, if if a man, if he, if a man has a wife, it's going to upset him greatly to learn that his wife is sleeping around. Much more so than if he learns that his next door neighbor's wife is sleeping around. Isn't that true? It's going to hurt in a different way. So God is betrayed. And, and affected deeply when his people are unfaithful to him. That, the scripture says that over and over again. So when it says forgive us, this is what we're saying. Jesus, I'm sorry. Lord, I'm sorry. I know, that my, I know the sin's been paid for. I thank you for that. Thank you for your forgiveness. Now overlook the ways that I have let you down and help me to live for you today. That's what we're praying. It's a willingness to examine ourselves and to let others help in that examination. That's an important part of the Christian life. That's forgive us. Temptation, number six. Lead us not into temptation. Do you know, church, friends, do you know that life as a Christian is hard? You guys worry me today. Do you know that life as a Christian is hard? Do you know that life is a battle? This is how the Scripture talks about it over and over and over and over again. Paul talked about the spiritual warfare that we engage in. Paul told Timothy, Timothy to fight the good fight of the faith. Do you feel like living for Jesus is a fight for you? Do you feel like it's a, a challenge? Do you ever f- experience temptation to go back to old ways of acting, old ways of doing, old ways of thinking? Am I alone in this? Well, this is what it means to live the Christian life. It's to be confronted by temptation day in, day out, hour in, hour out. So Luther instructs me as I read his prayers. He knew that temptation. So he cried out to God over and over and over and over again, Lord, would you please don't lead me into temptation? 
And then he finishes it, and we're going to get to that in a minute. When he's experiencing that temptation, he's saying, get me out of here. Lord, I don't want temptation. The Lord, the scripture says that the Lord won't tempt us, but he brings things in our lives to test us and to refine our faith. And so we pray that we would not be tempted. Very foolish is the man that says, God, bring some temptation my way, Lord. I don't want anything, God, to damage me and, and dishonor you. So please, Lord, no temptation today. It means that we're aware of the things that would, that would lead us away from God. What is the fire for you? What is the tempting thing for you? It's different than it is for me. What is it for you? How are you tempted to run away from the Lord? How are you tempted to run to other things? How are you tempted to go and play with fire? Those are the things that you're asking God to help you with. Whatever fire is for you, you should not play with it. And you should ask God to deliver you from the temptation to believe that I can just take this fire out of the fireplace for a while and play with it. You end up with a fire in your lap. And it brings consequences and destruction. And it dishonors the Lord. So we're to pray, Lord, don't lead me into temptation. What are the things that tempt you? This is a time when you get to that part of the prayer where you're praying, Lord, don't lead me into this. Don't lead me into this. Don't lead me into this. If you're not conscious of any temptation, pray that God wouldn't bring any. If you're conscious of some, then move to the seventh petition. Deliver us. Deliver us. The Christian life is devotion, it's dependence, and it's danger. I just told you that. And the Scripture tells us that the greatest danger lies in here. I see in my heart, church, so many inclinations to turn away from God. Prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Take my heart and seal it. Consecrate it for your courts above. I know the temptations that that hymn writer knows. We are soldiers. That's why the Christian life is likened to being a soldier so often, fighting. You've got to stay alert. You've got to watch. You've got to pray. Do you see life as danger? Do you see the Christian life as one of danger? You should. You should see it as one of danger. That's what Jesus is teaching us right here. So that we would pray that he would deliver us when we're in it. And we should remember that with this prayer, when, as soon as we say, deliver me, and that's what you wrote on, down under that, deliver us. Lord, keep me from the dangers I see. Help me to be aware of the temptations that I feel in my heart sometimes to leave you. But as soon as we pray that prayer, deliver me, how do you think God responds to that prayer? You think he wants to help you? you? If he doesn't, then I, then I have no way of understanding the gospel. When, he, when you say, when you get to this, this is why the Lord's Prayer is so helpful. When you get to the end and you say, deliver me, Lord, he's coming. 
I'm watching some series called Alone. Anybody see it? It's great. They basically just take 10 people and they put them in the wilderness and they give them 10 things they can take with them and then they say, see who can last the longest. And people get scared, like first night, bears show up, they're, they're scared, they get injured, all kinds of things happen. But they've got this radio with them, and they can just hit it and radio in as soon as they want to be rescued, as soon as they call in. And it's great. On the show, they show it. They hit the, they hit the button, and they see them activate, and the boat's on its way. When you say, Lord, I'm hurting right now. I'm struggling right now. I'm giving in to temptation. I'm turning away from you. I'm, 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 I'm in a bad way right now. Would you deliver me? You hit that button and he's on his way. That's been my experience with God. That's been your experience with God. And it makes sense because that's what Jesus says we can expect. Let me ask the band to return. I said we had a beginning, we had seven things, and then we had an end. The end of our prayer is amen. But Luther talks about this, and I like this because I don't think I often think this way. He said the amen is so important. The amen is when you get to the end of the prayer and you say it with confidence that, that God has listened to everything that you just said and that he's determined to answer according to his goodwill and purpose. So you say Lord, I know you've heard me. Lord, I know you're going to take care of me. I know you're going to deal with everything I just put out there to you. I know you're going to handle and process these things and take care of me. Amen. Pray with a conviction that the person you're praying to, which is where we started our prayer, has actually heard, listened, and cares about you. We say, Amen. We talked about this being a tool. Guys, I want you to use this. I want to challenge you. This is what I'm going to try this week. I'm going to use it. I'm just going to take the beginning, the seven petitions, and the ending. And I'm going to pray like this. Luther did this almost every day of his entire life. And he said that not one prayer was ever the same. See, when I think of the Lord's Prayer, I think of it as being the same every single time. And he's saying, no, no, no. If you do it the same every single time, you're not using a simple way to pray. You're just reciting a prayer. You're not using the tool. What Jesus offers us is a tool, is a guide. Let's keep the, the, the shingles on our roof straight by using the simple tool. Let's use it. We know how to use it now. Let's not forget that we have it. It's in our toolbox. We can get up tomorrow with a simple way to pray. Will you do that? Will you use it? Amen.